Hello. Hello. This is Finish Big. I'm Mark. And I'm Joe. And I'm Will. Hey! <laughs> I was just about to introduce our guest, Will Brooks. Welcome. Oh, I need no introduction. And we are listing our way through all of Big Finish. Yeah. In rough order. I know. If it, do you know what, right? We've got a floor to ceiling bookcase downstairs, yeah? And we're only just on the second shelf. Just wait until you get to, like, 2015. Uh, yeah, do you know what? The early ones, we're in a good period at the moment. Oh, man, there's some tricky roads ahead. Our guest today is the wonderful, the magnificent, the handsome and the published Mr Will Brooks. Hello, Will. Hello. I feel like we've already said hello. We've said hello three times now. Um, how are you doing today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for having me here. Well, absolutely delighted. And can I throw an enormous compliment your way before we go any further into this episode? I'm an old whore. I'll turn up for any compliment. <laughs> okay. Your book, Reviewing Big Finish Adventures. Now, I've got it saved on my phone, okay? So every single time I'm stuck in a queue or I'm on public transport, I can whip out your book, if you'll pardon the pun, and read it. It's fantastic. Where did that come from? Because there's, I don't think there's anything else like that out there. I think we shamelessly nicked the idea from Rob Shearman and Toby Hayduck did their Running Through Corridors. And I really wanted to do a Doctor Who marathon, but they weren't all available. I didn't have them all on DVD or VHS or anything, but you could buy all the big finish ones. <laughs> and I hadn't heard many of the Paul McGann ones. And I vaguely knew a friend of a friend who loved them. And so I just sort of, he came in, I worked at a shop at the time, and he came in one day and I was like, I know you, you listen to Big Finish, let's write a book. <laughs> and then we did. And we still talk most days, 15 years later, you know. Any chance of a sequel to that book? Because, you know, you skipped over a little bit into The Sixth Doctor with Charlie. And then I was like, oh, now I want to know what they think about all those early Sixth Doctor stories. Well, see, here's a bit of an exclusive. We started a sequel. We oh. finished the book and we said, we're going to go back and we're going to do all the Colin Baker stories, but we're going to do them in order. So we started with the Lost Stories season and uh -oh. we didn't go any further. Say oh, no don't more. Blame you at all. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Excuse me, do you have those the first few ones written up or you didn't even start writing? They're probably still saved in the email somewhere. I will dig them out. Thank you very much. I'll send you my email address. Just for those ones. Thank you. <laughs> it's mostly me going, oh, Paradise Five is, you know, a thing that they made. But no, it's a great book. So thank you very much. I'm very sad that there isn't going to be more of that. But I know you are bringing out another book. And at the end of this episode, we'd like to quiz you a little bit about that. And just draw some more attention. Because I know it's had some fantastic attention in the last couple of weeks. It has. It's gone mad. More than I expected. Well, what are we here to talk about today? Well, yeah, very exciting today. It's the beginning of a new range for Sarah Jane Smith. Oh, God. <laughs> Jesus so, Is that yeah. Miss Winters? Yeah, that was my wow. Miss Winters. Unbelievable. I mean, I could tell, obviously. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Elizabeth Sladen is back. Sarah Jane, this is in 2002. Did we all listen to these at the time when they came out? I had barely discovered Doctor Who when they came out. Really? My first Doctor Who was the VHS tape of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. I found it in the library in, like, late 2003. 
Will, that was the last VHS, you know, that was brought out. I was just about to say that, yeah. I'm so young. What did, you, what did you do? Go back and watch the lot? I remember being in the library and I saw it and I knew Doctor Who was vaguely time travelly. And I just thought it sounded brilliant. Like London's been evacuated. Dinosaurs have appeared on the streets. So I rented it. I watched it. I loved it. I picked up a couple on DVD after that. And then Rose came on telly. And that's when I went from, yeah, Doctor Who's all right, to like, this is the best thing ever. And I need to consume all of it. So do you consider yourself like a new series fan first and then went back and watched the classic series? or I think so. I think... Well, I was going to say I prefer the classic series. Do I prefer the classic series? I I love everything from Rose to kind of when David Tennant left. Oh, man, after my own heart. But if you told me I could never watch anything after Tennant again, I, w- I wouldn't be that sad. So watching the new series, do you feel like you're more sort of familiar with the the more modern Sarah Jane incarnation than the classic? I think so, yeah. Where do you think this falls in, this series? Because it's nothing like Sarah Jane from the classic series and it ain't nothing like Sarah Jane Adventures. I mean, it's nice that they got Elizabeth Sladen in to play this brand new character. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting a feeling you didn't enjoy this too much, you know. I'll tell you, I did think there's a point where, because I've just watched all of modern Doctor Who again. I started with Rose at the start of the year and I've done all of it. Sarah Jane talked with the lot. And there's a point, because she's a bit frosty in school reunion. And then she's lovely by the end of it, and she goes off into the sunset with canine. And then they come back for Invasion of the Bane, and she's a rag cow. She flies <laughs> to everyone. And there, she's the Sarah Jane from the audios. Yes, Invasion of the Bane, when I first watched that, I was like, who is this bitch? Like, she was so horrible. I was yeah. like, why is she being like this? At the end of that story, she's saying, oh, my lovely kitty winks, no. life on Earth can be an adventure too. I think maybe because I'm used to, <laughs> like, the classic Sarah Jane, uh, and then there's a Sarah Jane, a brief Sarah Jane in the BBC radio, Paradise of Death, Ghost of End Space, Sarah Jane, which is very like the classic. She's a bit more hyper and a bit more fun. Can you do the that. impression, please? Uh, oh, when she's the Brigadier. Have you heard the Ghost of End Space? I know of it, but I've not heard it. Oh, well, if you're feeling particularly low one day, put it on. They're supposed to be set in season 11, but she and she, I think she's trying to, to emulate that, but she sees a brigadier in a boat in Spain or something. She's like, yoo hoo, God. She's like that. You would never so, think Barry Letts was involved with, you know, creating this character, with the way he writes her in the 90s. And then you sort of get a non Sarah Jane in downtime. Oh, um, yeah. And then, yeah, you get this one, which, yeah, is very much more. This is Invasion of the Bane. I totally agree that she is very... Frosty. There's a horrible bit where Maria goes across the street and she's like, oh, hello. And Sarah Jane Bassett goes, yeah, sod off. <laughs> but, you know, there were sequences in uh, skipping ahead to the end of this season, Mirror Signal Manoeuvre, where she's chatting away to her friend, in inverted commas, Natalie, the, the lovely lady in the wheelchair. And I just said to him, are they supposed to be friends? Because all they do is argue and insult each other all the time. <laughs> like, I don't... I don't sense the camaraderie here with this new ensemble of characters. I mean, it's telling that she never mentions any of these people ever again. I know! <laughs> Maybe they all died horribly or something like that. She's best forgotten. Can I just read a quote from Elizabeth Sladen about this series, which I, I found in Doctor Who magazine? And she says, I've been well served by all of the Sarah Jane Smith writers. There are some lovely scripts. I hope we've 
just sort of captured a flavour of something different. I wanted an element of danger. I mean, at times, I think Sarah can be quite unlikable. You can't change everything just for the sake of change, but I don't think we have. Everything has been thought through, and we're not talking about brain surgery. Well, no, but, I mean, I'm going to ask you, Will, do you feel as if the protagonist of an audio drama series should be likeable? Possibly a little bit more likeable than this. (laughs) (laughs) It comes to something when you're more excited by Hilda Winters. When she comes flouncing in in that last story, just for like two scenes, I was like, oh, camp classic, here we go. But I suppose the idea is to make her this more world-weary character. I understand what they're trying to do because she's had all, you know, she's not that classic Sarah Jane. She's had all this, she's been this journalist, she's had all of this trouble that's been going on. Uh, with her Planet 3 work and everything like that. So she's very paranoid, people are after her. They're they're sort of going, they are going for that, but there's just not, like you say, the interaction between her companions just, it just needs a bit more of that that likability there. A bit more humour. Well, I think the idea is, though, isn't it, with Sarah in this series, is that her entire life at, at the moment is being manipulated by Miss Winters. So she's basically been forced into this sort of paranoid exile where she's too scared to make a phone call and she's got 15 aliases and she won't give out her address to anybody, anything like that, because, you know, they've destroyed her career and and made a mockery of her. So I kind of get it, but I don't know, this felt... Do you know what? Did you ever read any of those books in the 90s, the sort of virgin BBC books? They took all the sort of established Doctor Who classic companions and then made them all miserable... This, this feels a little bit like that. There seems to be, and it's almost until Russell T comes along, there's almost this sense in all the expanded media that the companions have to have horrible, horrible lives. <laughs> for the doctor. They all have to be divorced and have cancer and miserable. And like Dodo goes through hell, doesn't she? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I mean, I've always said I want to go in a hail of drama, but I don't want to get an STD and then get shot in the face. That's extreme. Yeah. Too broad and deep for the small screen, isn't it? Well, what do we think about her companions in this whole series then? So we've got Josh and Nat. They're my favourite big finish creations. <laughs> I think part of my issue is that they all appear right at the start. And it's kind of Nat's already there. Josh comes in in episode one. But I never felt that they were growing as a team. It was kind of, they felt like they're there because these are the characters. And so I don't think I ever really got much of a sense of them beyond Nat's in a wheelchair, Josh is a bit puppy doggy, and they both get abused by Sarah Jane Smith <laughs> on a weekly basis. It's, yeah, it's strange because when we were going through these, I was thinking, like, so is she paying Josh? Is that, what's his job to help her out on these things? He's like a muscle, of... isn't he? But he's got sort the contacts. I was like, I was kept thinking about going to thinking about that, and like, what it does? It's again, Nat. Is she? She's like the tech, the tech girl for Sarah well, Jane, says, sorting out all this stuff for it. So does she? Is are they being paid by? In one of these Sarah stories, Jane? she says that she made a ton of money, didn't she? Well, Sarah Jane. Yeah, well, she inherited Aunt Lavinia's. There money. you go. Yeah, so there you go. She's yeah, she's. So is that where it's all? Quick so it's all. It's Aunt Lavinia's money that's paying Josh and. There you Nat. go. We just so asked. Do they? Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't, you probably don't need to know any of that, but that just kept coming into my mind. I was like, why? Why are they doing this for her? Because she's been so horrible to them. I, like she doesn't sell the house until the fourth play, 
So I like the idea that across the first three, they keep sort of saying, you know, oh, Jay, about pay. And she's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good for it. You know? Well, they're off to Romania. They're off to India. I mean, they're, you know, who's paying for all this? Who knows? I quite like Nat, though. I think that's a good... She's a quite a good character, I think. She's, she's prickly as well, though. Yeah, but I think for good reason, because of Sarah Jane sort of view oh. that... Well, we should get we'll get into that in the play, but I've got to say I quite like Josh, and that's only because I like Jeremy James, who turns up in basically every single Big Finish release from one to a hundred, and then every spin-off in various roles. So I've heard his voice distorted in every single way possible, and here at last he's getting like a main role, and yeah, he is annoying. Like he's that sort of annoying. He's the, he's the Jeremy of this series, isn't he? The one who sort of hangs around making shitty jokes, but sort of comes good at the last minute and and helps save the day. I don't know. I, well, I was trying to describe him sort of as a bit of a, like a male ace in a way, but not in a, in a good way. Male ace? <laughs> like, I, sort of like, you know, calling her SJ, but when it's serious, he calls her Sarah. No bombs, kind of... no baseball bats. Yeah, no, I don't know. Just in that sort of attitude. Well, would you hang out with thing. Josh? I mean, probably not. No, I wouldn't hang out with none of them. <laughs> it's a bit wet for me, which is really for me. <laughs> it is odd, though. I will say this up front. It is odd for them to do a new series for Sarah Jane and to take this approach of having so much conflict between the regulars and then all the stories. There's not really a light story here. So all the stories have got either... Uh, sort of they're going for horror or they're going for thriller whereas the first the first one of the second series have you heard the second series i think i actually heard the first one of the second one yeah it's like an adventure out in italy and there's the return of the mandragora i think from the uh what's it called the, mask the of mandragora of mandragora yeah. oh, right um and it's really fun, though. It's fun. It's light. They've injected a bit of humour. It's almost like they've looked over their shoulder at Series 1 and went, well, that was no fun at all. Let's, let's lighten this up a bit. Well, didn't you say that um, Elizabeth Sladen had, like, script approval of this or wanted script approval in your yeah. trivia? Yeah. So apparently Gary Russell gave Elizabeth Sladen script approval, but he only gave her the synopsis and he wouldn't tell her who'd written them because she wanted to work with Barry Letts and with Terence Dix and he knew she was going to favour those scripts so four of these scripts she chose so if you didn't enjoy them you can blame Elizabeth Sladen because she chose the stories all right um and one of them they disagreed on Gary and Elizabeth but they went with Elizabeth's choice and I think that was Ghost Town so what was she thinking did you know about um have you read the Eighth Doctor books no I know some of it have you ever heard of the companion Sam Jones? Uh, yeah, she's very popular, you know, I hear. In, in not with Elizabeth Sladen. No, by all accounts. Off you go, go on. Well, yeah, because the character of Ellie Martin was Sam Jones originally, and I think Elizabeth Sladen was like, no, <laughs> you are not putting another companion in my series. Uh, so there's never a massive row about change. that. Excuse me, you're working with Gary Russell, aren't you? Can you ask him for me, please, if Elizabeth Sladen and Gary had a massive row about this? I have asked him about specifically this. <laughs> well, I'm so pleased you're here. And come on, give us a goss. It was, so about 10 years ago, I wanted to do a Sarah Jane fancy because obviously I love Sarah Jane. And I hadn't heard any of the big finish Sarah Jane stuff. 
But I somehow got Gary's email from somewhere and I emailed him and I said, oh, can, can we talk Sarah Jane? You know, obviously he worked on the show. He did the audios and I went in woefully unprepared. And I said to him, you know, so what about the series? He went, well, of course, Sam Jones was going to be in it. And I was like, cool, who's that? <laughs> but I seem to recall him saying that Elizabeth Sladen wasn't best pleased <laughs> um, and that it was a real sticking point because that was the first I'd heard. And then no one else seemed to know anything. I thought, oh, I've got this little secret bit of information. And then I was looking on Wikipedia earlier, and it's just on there. Like, oh, God, Russell has said. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, so it's not that secret. By all accounts, I think they recorded two stories where they were addressing that character as Sam Jones, and they had to go back and do a load of posts and take it out after this happened. So um, he just said he, he said it was one nod sort of to continuity too far, and he wanted to sort of push away from Doctor Who a bit, which... I guess um, makes sense. But she's quite... She's not in it that much. And did Elizabeth Sladen read the Eighth Doctor books? She probably would have known if somebody hadn't have told her. <laughs> so... I've got to tell you guys, I actually found Ellie Martin the most annoying of all four of the regulars. That sort of green piece, you know, I live on the streets, I've got all the contacts. Oh, she was smug as arseholes, wasn't she? It's telling that when I wikipedia this afternoon to check some details, I noticed she was only in the first three, and I hadn't really spotted that she wasn't in the last couple. Okay, I'm going to read you a list of names now, and you either say yes or no if you've heard of them. This will uh, you know, we'll discover your um, fan pedigree here, okay? J- Jacqueline Rayner. Yeah, obviously, yeah. Colin Brake. Uh, yes. Rebecca Levine. Yeah. Robert Shearman. Obvious. Gareth Roberts. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Why'd you look scared? Uh, Justin Richards. Also, all of those names, which are probably bigger names than some of the writers they chose, they were all considered for scripts for this first series. And unfortunately, Elizabeth Sladen didn't choose any of their work. Um, And if you will indulge me for a second, there was a a secret memo. I always say secret. There was nothing secret about it. It was a bloody memo. There was a memo that went around to the writers that could have written for this from Gary Russell, saying that he wanted five separate mini-adventures with enough of an ongoing thread and a feeling that Sarah has moved on a bit, with stories that feature an exceptional leading lady, but she is human with no special powers or gadgets beyond her own wits. What he wanted tonally was the Avengers meets Twin Peaks with a dash of Doctor Who. I'm not sure they reached that. No, I get the Avengers thing. I found when I was listening to the first couple, the thing it tonally reminded me most of was the lost... Avengers episodes that Big Finish put out. There's something yeah. in the style and the pacing that was very in tune with those. Were those Lost Avengers episodes uh, scripts that were written back in the day, like episodes that were junked? Oh, yeah. Okay, no one. Well, Barry Letts and Terrence Dix wrote the first two, so no wonder it felt a bit like the 60s and 70s. Um, well, look, well, should we go should into the first yeah, one? Let's talk about the first one. All so, right. first release is Comeback, which was released in July 2002, featuring Robin Bowerman. Lisa Bowman's brother. Yeah, he's great. <laughs> David Jackson. Who's that? Gan from Blake 7. Are you a Blake 7 fan? No, I've tried it. I've got the DVDs one day. And Juliet Warner. This was written by Terence Dix, directed by Gary Russell, with music by David Darlington. I think our guest should go first with what he thought about the exciting pilot of Comeback. So my biggest issue with Comeback is I really don't like the idea 
that Sarah's had this big TV series and she's this famous TV journalist. It just doesn't sit right with me. And so then when it opens with this and it's like a week after she's been sacked and she's in the bank and she's Miss Samuels and trying to fit in and you've just got everyone coming up to her and going, oh, you're Sarah Jane Smith off the telly. It reminds me a lot of in the 70s, they rebooted the Superman comics and they tried to make a modern. So Clark Kent no longer worked at a newspaper. He worked on TV news and he was up to date and modern and it wasn't old fashioned anymore. And this just reminded me of that. It felt like it was trying to be relevant. I don't know if it needed to be. If they, if they were doing it now, I fear that she'd have like a Netflix documentary series or something, you know, Sarah Jane investigates. Do you know what I thought was weird about this one, right? Is it, Obviously, they're trying to do a contemporary thriller series for Sarah Jane. And they bring in Terence Dix and Barry Letts to write the first two, who are two of the coziest Doctor Who writers you can find. And they go, right, I love their stuff. I think they're brilliant writers. And Dix, he can't quite do it. Like, he has 15 minutes where he's doing, like, a bank heist, uh, bank raid, and it does feel contemporary for a second. And then he's like, right, now we're off to the Cotswolds for a you know cosy little horror story with Sarah Jane Smith. And I'm like... Is this what they were going for? Because this feels more like Canine and Company to me. Yeah, maybe that's what it is, them trying to be modern and, yeah, failing at that. But it does. Ha- it has a lot to do with this first one. It's got to set up all of that background and where Sarah is and her companions and also give us a bit of an adventure as well. There was a lot crammed into this first one. I felt like we were going all over the place. There was a lot of swearing crammed. Someone said, you smug bitch at one point. <laughs> oh, my God, my favourite line, my favourite line is when Elizabeth Slayton says... That really pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> Sarah Jane Smith should not swear. I was what so shocked when I first heard that. I was like, oh my gosh, she swore. This is like adult. Is that this became her catchphrase on CBBC. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> yeah. Clyde Langer, you're pissing me off. <laughs> it just doesn't sound right, her coming out of her mouth. No. And, and like... <sighs> What was the actual story I've come back about? I've, I've kind of forgotten now. Cloning and stuff. That's right. It just went all... It, well, it's sort of two halves, isn't it? It's that, all that bank stuff and all the background that she's she was set up in the past and all that. Or do we find that out later No, that on? was literally the first ten minutes. Then we go off to the like village. Long, longer than that. Well, there's a whole thing about radioactive waste, oh, cloning... Yeah. Um, but it's all dropped. Did you notice in the last 10 minutes, we get like, it's just a sort of a lot of running around in the countryside. And then in the last 10 minutes, there's this enormous exposition dump. The villain stopped and that's the end of the story. Maybe because he was writing a pilot and he was trying to write his own story. Yeah, he's having to do the introductions and his own narrative. And it's only, what, 50 minutes long? 60 just minutes over, long? Just over an hour. Yeah, maybe it was a bit much i mean did you find it an agreeable hour yeah i did enjoy that one in its own way there's a lot it's nice to hear elizabeth saying back even if i don't like this take on the character she is always brilliant <laughs> so it's kind of i could listen to her that's fine i really liked the canine and company-ish elements i like that it opens with references to juno baker and stuff oh, like that yes. that's great fun i love all of that but then, like you say, I think I ditch all of the, let's go to London, let's do a bank heist. I think, get the funeral out of the way, and then let's throw into her. She's already investigating. She's in the countryside. She's doing her thing. You know, I'd rather just hear 
a story. I feel like Juno Baker should have been the Nat role. So she could phone her up once an episode. She'd be like, <laughs> hello, my dear. Yes, what's that? You need me to memo somebody? Of course. You know, being... Oh, she's Oh, fabulous. I don't think she'd be able to sort out all the credit cards and all that. Oh, no, she'd be a bit old, would stuff. she? Too yeah. busy with her swingers parties in Morton Harwood or wherever it was. That opening <gasps> scene, though, of the Aunt Lavinia's funeral, that is my favourite bit of the of this one. Well, I do. Yeah, got, really I have affected. a fun bit of trivia about that. She sent um, an audio recording of that to each of the writers to say, "This is sort of what I'm going for with this series." So after that first one was recorded, and uh, Rupert Lay, who wrote Ghost Town, was like, "I got this very odd package with a monologue from Elizabeth Sladen." He goes, "It didn't influence at all how I wrote the episode, but it was very charming of her to send it." Bless her. But I think. <sighs> As a pilot, you know, I sound a bit down on it. As a pilot, it puts everything in place. But I don't know if it sets the tone of the series. No. No, it's, it's just a bit too all over the place. It's not a... And, oh, and talk about Ellie Martin as well. I only realised that she's in that Unbound story with Michael, with the Valiard, with Michael Jason. She's the companion. It's the same actress playing Ellie, the companion, in, like, an alternative... Unbound universe. Oh, he jests at scars. Have you heard that? I know of it. I haven't heard that. Yeah, make, so, that, make sure that's a very, very rainy day. Would you guys like to hear a, a quote from Gary Russell himself about this script? He's he's typically honest. That's what I love about him. Gary Russell says it was a fabulous script, but not exactly what we needed. It needed a tweak or ten. I think he's being kind there. But Terence is a professional. He has no ego. Uh, and I didn't have any of the fights, unlike the New Adventures writers that we had in. So I feel like, yeah, Terence, Terence was quite happy for him to say, well, look, there's the script. Do what you want with it. Because I think originally he had a henchman character in it and it wasn't Mr. Harris, you know, like the villain who runs through the series. And Gary was like, no, no, Robin Bauman's so good at playing evil. We're just going to put him in every story. And why wouldn't you? He's got a great voice. What about the, the music, the theme music? Can we just clear up? Because apparently the word Sarah is in the... Uh, sort of whispered in the background. I've never really heard it. I don't think I can even tell you what the theme music was. No, it's very indistinct. It's a David Darlington theme, and usually he's bang on the money, but there's like a whispered Sarah every now and again. <laughs> it's not. Which is very sinister. I keep saying to him, it's there, it's there. And no, he, do, he doesn't hear Although it. the other, like the incidental music is a little bit off-putting at times. It's a little bit, I, I don't know what they, it's that, that. Well, how much <laughs> pornography have you watched in your life? I mean, they're doing the music as if Juno Baker is one of the people. I know. It's like, da 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 what is going on? Between the tone of the series being a bit weird, the music, I mean, it's, it's a little bit, all over the place. Yeah, I think you just get used to the music as you go through these stories. But that first Maybe one, I was just do. like... Yeah, after you've heard your, like, your tenth... I don't know what that was. But once you've heard that... I've got to say, ten... though, I mean, I'd rather take the porn music over the Indian riffs they were doing in the last one. That sort of... <laughs> sort of sitar playing that was going on. It was very, very strange. Will, do you have anything else to say about Comeback? Let me check my... Oh, I do, I do. I got really excited at one point, pathetically, because Stu makes a point of saying, right, ah, I'll go and get my beetle out of storage. And I thought, ah, in the Sarah Jane adventures, she has a beetle and she gives it to Luke. 
and it's a yellow beetle there. And then she says in the audio, oh, my beetle is red. And I kind of went, no, she could have repainted it. And then they blow it up. So my loving attempt to try and link everything together came to nothing. It's very strange because there's an Eighth Doctor book called Interference because he, for some reason, has a Volkswagen Beetle uh, driving around the TARDIS in the Eighth Doctor books. But actually, she goes off with that that Beetle at the end, so I'm wondering if it's that. I don't know. It's called Ethel. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Of course it is. I don't think Terrence Dick should have come back. No. (laughs) Did he do any other big finish or is this his only one? Yeah. Oh, my God. He did a sequel to the the Ultimate Adventure musical called Beyond the Ultimate Adventure. Oh, the Companion Chronicle. Yeah. (laughs) Did he do any more? I didn't know he did that one. I didn't know. I thought he only did this. I think that might be all he done. Well... I don't think they were clamouring for him, if I'm honest. Although, do you know what? It's Terrence Dicks, like... I mean, yeah, you'd always have him back. So the next release, I hope I am pronouncing this right. Actually, I won't pronounce it right. I'm going to say it's the Teo connection, but I'm sure in the story he says it's Deo. Oh, I just say T-A-O. The T-A-O connection (laughs) (laughs) was released in August 2002 and features Caroline Burns Cook. She didn't have much work. Murray Treadwell, who was book in Ish. That's right. And Maggie Stables. Oh, Maggie Stables. You know who that is, right? Watch yeah. This was written by Barry Letts, directed by Gary Russell, with music by David Darlington. And actually, David Darlington did all the music, so I won't say it again every single time. So this one's a bit more of a straightforward adventure, I found. I quite like this. She's got a... She's got something to investigate, and off she goes to do it. After that setup of the last one, I really enjoyed this one a lot more. Did you not feel like this was like a, an episode of Vicious, starring Derek Jacoby and what's his face? Because you had two of the bitchiest queens you've ever heard in your life in this story. Out of all five plays, and I can't remember which character says it, but there's a bit where they discover that it's Sarah Jane who's broken in, and she just goes, "Oh, of course, Sarah Jane, that bitch." <laughs> Oh, I love the swearing in this series, you know. <laughs> I mean, I've got to say, I, I'm i entirely in accordance with Gary Russell, who says, I, and I quote, TV has become very anodyne these days on its treatment of gays. They're either lovely and everybody's friend or that hideous neighbour you want to get rid of. I was really pleased that Barry gave us an out-and-out loathsome character in this story who uses his sexuality as a weapon. That's not what at all what I would expect from Barry Letts. No. And he was great. He was horrible, that man, wasn't he? But kind of fun as well. The most powerful part of this was right at the very end when he's, like, dying and needing that drug and everything that was horrible to listen to yeah it was we were sitting on brighton beach at uh, brighton beach on eastbourne beach having a lovely day and this horrible old queen was expiring in our ears while we were sitting there having a drink and then you put on this play to listen to <laughs> <laughs> well what, how did you find this one yeah i i like it's like you say it's something of this feels much more straightforward you kind of know where you are there's a mystery she's investigating it was just a bit of an easier listen. I just think Barry Letts should not be mentioning things like Britney Spears because it's when somebody who's kind of not very cool tries to sound very hip and cool. Like, did you hear Did you hear the uh, scene set in that club? I think it was a club because there was a woman going, ah, ah, in the background. I was like, what is this? Bless him. I love Elizabeth Slater's pronunciation of Britney Spears. Britney Spears. Oh, yeah. 
But it was a lot simpler story, wasn't it? But essentially, this fella is a bit of a vampire. He sort of, if you'll forgive me, sucks all the life out of young men whilst sucking a load of young men. He does kind of say that, though, doesn't he? He does say that, doesn't he? I, yeah, yeah, I can't believe this is Barry Letts. I would never, if you hadn't talked, like, if it wasn't on the cover, I'd be like, what, who wrote this? Like, where, what is Barry Letts thinking about? I want to know what gaze he's been hanging out with <laughs> to get this inspiration. I don't want to picture Barry Letts on Canal Street. Oh, no, no, Barry Letts is, oh, he's too sweet. It's his, fa- no, no, his favourite Doctor Who contributor of all time, Barry Letts. Oh, he's so, he's just sensible, isn't he? All those DVD commentaries and stuff and all the interviews, he's just, he just talks sense. That's what I like about there's no bullshit with him, is there? You know how Katie Manning can sort of primp up a story that she's told 50 times, and each time it sort of gets a bit more excite- exciting in the story. Barry S just says it how it was. Yeah, we made some telly, you know? All the stuff with Josh and Sarah going into the like the home and the, the Josh being knocked out and put in the shed and all that kind of stuff, it took a long time for them to get there, didn't it? Mm. It felt... It was quite a long story. It was it could have like you could have cut off like ten minutes of just all of that early stuff. I swear it was a sequence where they were going over a wall about three times just to get inside this this sort of estate. Yeah, so there was a lot, but but this was a bit longer, wasn't it? Seventy minutes long, this one. I like the stuff where Sarah's bribing the the maid and, and dressing up and pretending. That's what I want to see in like a Sarah Jane series where yeah, she has to dress up for someone fun. and infiltrate. And that yeah, that's the Sarah that I like rather than the sort of bitch on the phone telling Nat to like do something you know <laughs> and did you, did you find the interaction with Sarah and Josh was actually quite sparky in this one I thought they were actually getting on work really well in this one probably better than in any other play no, no, in the next one they're all nearly murdered so I can see how that would be a strain on on relationships but um yeah simple story enjoyable to listen to Maggie Stables as well Maggie like Stables, housekeeper lady, wasn't she? Yeah, she turns she up in that. Just a little, a little role in there. That's always nice. She's always recognisable, and Claudia as well. This sets up Claudia, who Sarah ends up living in her house when she dies, <laughs> like straight away. It's setting up that past that Sarah's got these connections through her Planet Three work, and it's she's Department C nineteen, I think they call it. I'm keeping stunned because if we're doing questions at the end, I've got a question about this. Oh, how exciting! I think I know. I think C nineteen is from the books. You know, I don't um, know. All I know is every time I heard the name Claudia, I kept seeing Claudia Bing from Absolutely Fabulous. <laughs> I kept seeing her, and then when she got shot dead in the next one, I was like, oh. Oh, sorry, that's a spoiler for the next story. I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, spoilers. We talked about Miss Winters in, like, the first five minutes. That's very so. true. That is very, very true. <laughs> Do you have anything else to say about Barry Lex's, I think, last piece of work, or certainly his last script? He was obviously very anti-capitalist and very conscious of those issues. But I think he was quite clearly taking backhanders when he was doing this script. Because in the first 10 minutes, he mentions Tesco, Sainsbury's, Paintex uh, <laughs> Lotus. He goes on about the big issue. It's, like, it's suddenly like, hang on a minute. It felt really odd because I'm not used to hearing that kind of thing. I hear he, did, he didn't pay into a pension whilst he was working on Doctor Who. So he needed as much money as he could from these later scripts. Yeah, maybe that's his way of setting it in the modern world, you know, saying those things. Yeah, that was the bit where didn't she send Josh to get a buffet or something from somewhere? Something like that, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, he's going, oh, nothing like a bit of brie. Or so I was like, this is all very strange detail that they're adding. <laughs> it's a green 
bit where she goes, oh, don't go to Tesco's. Their one's not as good. If you go down to the same, <laughs> I sort of was thinking, hang on, have they just recorded Elizabeth Sladen in the green room? <laughs> it has been known to happen, you know. But, but Nat doesn't have that much to do in this one. She's just on the phone a little bit, isn't she? She's not. I didn't think she had much to do in any of them, except for the third one. The third one, she was involved mm. quite a bit. The others, she was on the end of a phone... And there was two where I she barely... Fe- I think Ghost Town, she doesn't feature at all, does she? Her main role is to just kind of go, Sarah, Sarah, call me back in every episode. Will, that is uncanny. You could play that <laughs> in the second series. I've just been cast for the next range of uh, season 12 Lost Stories. So, uh... is, that, is that right? I, um, I, do you want to hear my impression of her? You ready for this? Oh, I don't know if you remember this scene in uh, the third one where she's just going, I won't be your victim! I won't be your victim! <laughs> like, bloody hell, she is earning her money today. I don't think she's as aggressive as that, but... It's for dramatic effect, darling, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Like... Uh, OK, let's talk about the next release then. Oh, yeah, um, oh, yeah, this here was we go. goodie. I here love this go. one. Test of Nerve was released in September 2002. Features Robin Bauman again and Roy Skelton and Caroline Burns Cook. This was written by David Bishop, directed by Gary Russell, and we know who did the music. (laughs) Will, I've only got one question for you. Why was this the best one of the season? No, no, no. What did you think of this one? Well, I thought it was the worst one of the season, actually. No, I'm kidding. I am kidding. I would love for you to think this was the worst one of the season. (laughs) My biggest thing about this one is it felt like the final episode of the season. I mean, it's brilliant. And everything feels believable as well. I think it's the one that best captures that kind of modern vibe that they're going for. And there's all the talk about Porton Down, which was really in the news at the time. And it doesn't feel forced in the way... The first couple might have done. I just thought it felt really well structured. Like it, it set up all the elements early, dropped a twist in the middle, and then everybody was in jeopardy at the end. So I, I saw the last 10 minutes when, what is it, Josh and Ellie are in some weird glass cabinet on the tube. Um, the fellow's there with his sarin gas that he's going to wipe everybody out with. Nat's been pushed out of her wheelchair and she's trying to cl- climb out of a building with a bomb about to go off. And Sarah Jane's basically got to choose between saving her best mate that she hates or her other best mate that she hates. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting, I thought. And Claudia's shot as well. Oh, yeah. I forgot that about that. Really I was not expecting that. But I thought they'd push it, but I didn't think they'd actually go through with it. And I was proper, I was walking along while I listened to it. And I had to proper stop, like, oh, okay, here we go, okay. But you're so right, like, the way those stakes elevated at the end, that is what you do at the end of a season. And in fact, it did it far more than what we got at the end of this season, which was good, but nowhere near as exciting as this. Yeah, and um, Robin Bauman is great returning. He yeah, has Mr. got that Harris. voice, hasn't he? I really liked all of that stuff. And, um, yeah, just from that, just from straight away, when Sarah gets that gas thing in the post, you're like, okay, this is going to be different. This is going to be more juicy. From what I understand, this was the first script in, and I think this was supposed to be the tone of the series. And then they got Barry Letts and Terra Sticks in, and we're off to Somerset and country villages and things. Um, but I think, I think this kind of should have been the template for the whole year. I could listen to a whole series that builds like this. 
and you build that threat week on week on week. That would be, I, if they built it this well in 70 minutes, just thinking about building it across five plays. Well, it's funny you should say that, you know, because David Bishop does write the entirety of season two. Okay. So I think they kind of went, do you know what? He's the one who knows what he's doing with this series. Uh, they give him series two and it is remarkably, it's consistently very good. So I guess they learned their lesson. And it's a first year, you know, you sort of learn as you go. Maybe as this was the first one, this explains Sarah's character a bit more because there are these higher stakes. You would expect her to be a bit more because she's arguing with Nat a lot in this. Her character does fit in this type of situation where maybe with the Terence Dix and Barry Letts ones, it, that sort of grafted on afterwards the more frostiness in a way, if you see what I mean. But she's not dealing with such high stakes and such sort of drama yeah. that actually in this okay she is going to get a bit more tense i want to ask you both a question about elizabeth sladen's performance in these plays because i i think she's one of my favorite companions i think she's a great actress but i don't know if audio is the best medium for her because you've got to heighten your performance a bit on audio to sort of make an emotional impact and it was especially noticeable in Test of Nerve because she's in sort of high-stakes situations all the time. And forgive me, I am going to do an impression. She's sort of going, George, George, that, you know, like she's doing this sort of anguish all the... And I'm going, I don't know if this is the best acting I've ever seen from you. I think on screen, Elizabeth Sladen is really subtle. She does a lot of little subtle things. Often, if she's not the focus of the scene, you can see her in the background making choices and doing things and you lose all of that on audio. So I think she's compensating for that by heightening her performance. And she's often brilliant, but there are moments where you think, ooh, that's, I can imagine her doing that on screen and it being amazing. And just sort of taking it down a bit on the telly. I don't know. I, I was just like, mm. I, but then I don't know, how do you play? you're supposed to be playing that you're in a state of complete anxiety and you're that you've got an impossible choice to make like how do you underplay that you know like oh dear mm, i could go that way or i could go that way uh, you know so i guess maybe it's an unfair what do you think yeah i though it's those noises i, I thought she you see i think she's good at going back to those bbc radio ones that she'd done before you do, I don't think you get any of that. You get the the TV Sarah, but here, yeah, it's. But I think she does well in those noises. I, I don't know. You can. I can. I can visualize her doing the, the mannerisms and things. That sort. Of, ew, ew, ew. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. That just sounds like him having an I orgasm. I can't explain. She does these kind of noises that are just that do convey. Uh, uh. <laughs> no, okay, I'm not going to do any well, more. Listeners, anyway, what I'm trying to say is that it's good. I'd like well, it. Well, yeah, the porn noises, the <laughs> orgasm sounds. I mean, it's a bit of sort of sexy uh, ASMR uh, going on in the Sarah uh, Jane series. Okay, well, on a different subject, what about Roy Skelton? You can oh, recognise yeah. him, can't you? I thought he was great. Really good. And I've I never really heard him act. No. Have you never seen Rainbow, the pair of you? No, but I mean, like an actor, you know, like a, a role in that way. Where he's not got a mask on. Yeah, no, it was it was a very subtle performance for him. I mean, I'm fairly certain he's done a lot of acting in his time, but <laughs> just because we haven't seen it, you know? <laughs> like he was very sympathetic and very scary at the same time. Do you remember the bit when she's on the phone and he's going, "I said 
who is that? You know, like, I was going, oh my God, he's going to murder them any minute. Wow, that was, that was great. Thank you. <laughs> I, I can do George and Bungle as well, you know. Oh, yes, you a Finnish big ear. I was like, oh, I won't stop, I'll stop. Sorry. Do a crawl. It makes no sense, Stigron. There you go. <laughs> I'm very versed in Roy Skelton, you know. Okay, do you guys think this was the best of the season? Yes, I would say so. Yes, yeah. I think Sadie Miller said that as well. Sadie Miller, who has gone on to play Sarah Jane Smith herself. Have you heard her do that? No, the recasts don't interest me in the slightest. I think Big Finish do amazing stuff. And some of the stuff they've done with recasts sounds great. But I just, it doesn't appeal to me. Well, if you do ever want to go into those sort of season 12, the arc and Daleks' genesis of terror, you remember how we've been talking earlier? Make it a very, 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 very rainy day. So the next story is Ghost Town, released in October 2002, featuring Ingrid Evans, Brian Miller and Robert Jezek, written by Rupert Light. Have I written that down? Light. Late. Late. <laughs> That's my writing again. Directed by Gary Russell. And we know who did the music. I don't remember listening to this. No, I only listened to this yesterday. I think that fair reaction. It just sort of comes a bit out of nowhere, especially after Test of Nerve was so strong. And then all of a sudden this one opens and Sarah's sort of going, come on, Josh, off to Romania. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then, yeah, it sort of doesn't, do a lot it's so slight isn't it like i there just wasn't much incident and then there wasn't much plot and then there wasn't much explanation and you know i was like what just happened i seem to recall there's a scene in there somewhere and it's like a big revelation and sarah jane picks up a file and goes oh my god i should have guessed cia the central intelligence agency (laughs) and you kind of go "Uh (laughs) uh-huh I didn't think it was too bad. I, oh. I quite like... He likes a simple story, though, you know? Yeah, it's just... Uh, it's not got really anything with the main arc. It's just on its own, a straightforward story, bit of a... Well, it, I mean, it's not really a, a mystery as such, really. It doesn't have that many layers to it. But it's just quite nice. That different location, different setup. If you just want, like, an easy, straightforward story then why not? Why just not have... And you need to sort of, after Test of Nerve as well, if you're doing this as a season, I think you need that little breather before we're going straight into the next sort of finale. Going back to something that Will said at the beginning of the episode about the Ross T. Davis era, right? So he's a smart cookie and he'll structure a season. He'll do a light opener and then he'll do some sort of fun running around, introducing arc elements. And then somewhere sort of middle to just heading into the last third, he'll do a banger like Human Nature, Family of Bloods, Silence of the Library, Forest of the Dead. And then after that, so that's our test of nerve, yeah? After that, he'll follow that up with Turn Left, Midnight, Stolen Earth, Journey's End. Like, you take the middle bang and you keep running. What test this season did was it went bang in the middle and then it just sort of went and deflated like a balloon. This is sort of like the fear her of the season. Oh, oh, oh. I thought you liked it. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I love you, Sarah Jane Smith. <laughs> no, Jesus Christ. If you had eight episodes... I think you could slip this in somewhere, it would be fine. But I think when you've only got these five and you've gone so big in the third episode... That is a backhanded compliment of ever I've won. <laughs> um, do you ever watch Star Trek in the 90s? Yeah. 
So you know how they had sort of 26 episode seasons. So it's all right. You can have sort of eight duffers because you've still got enough time for about 15 really good episodes. Yeah. yeah. The crush it, We're not doing it. in love with a ghost three times a season. It doesn't matter. Gee, have you seen that one? <laughs> My God. She's masturbating to that ghost. And then Captain Picard walks in the room. <laughs> have you seen that one? No, no. Well, luckily, that didn't happen in Sarah Jane. No, <laughs> imagine. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but like we don't have twenty-six episodes, like you're saying. So, yeah, it really stands out as being particularly unmemorable. It started off quite well with this mystery of this person in this house, and then we've got these like ghostly sightings in a way. It's just that the twist was already quite obvious. What was the so twist? It wasn't the twist. Well, the guy had lost his memory. Was the the guy that had was invented the science of whatever that literally it was, was to revealed be. in the second scene. Yeah, I know, I know, but then there was um, oh, and it, was it the vicar guy? Was he a vicar? Have I just remembered it wrong? <laughs> who was like the one guy that it was obviously? Oh, is he the guy who when Sarah Jane rocks up, he's like, "Hello, it's nice to see a lovely lady." <laughs> but yeah. he sort of had a bit of a sinister voice, didn't he? I went, "Yeah, that's the bad guy." You know, yeah. and did you notice that they kept referencing Scooby fucking Doo in this? Well, I wrote down as I was listening to it. I literally wrote in my notes, "This is like an episode of Scooby Doo." And then Josh says, "This is like Scooby Doo." All this, and I'm like, "Well, at least they know." But I'm not sure saying it makes it any better. Well, can I tell you, Will? Your thoughts chime exactly with writer Rupert Late, who says. The writer, sorry, oh, sorry, he says, I never added the Scooby-Doo references. I assume that's something that Gary Russell added afterwards. To appear knowing about Attacky's plot doesn't make it more palatable. Bravo, Rupert Late. I liked Sarah Jane's friend that she goes to visit, um, but they didn't need to go to Romania. They, well, they could have just gone to Juno Baker's house and it could have all happened there. You know, oh, that would have been more been of an interesting story yeah. in that way. A goat, oh, you could have done a ghost story set in a swingers' palace, couldn't you? <laughs> that would have been crazy. Oh, and the, yeah, there's that American couple that visit, don't they? And then because she, she dies. What, in this one? Yeah, you know, the Americans that come around for thing. dinner. You, yeah, you didn't like this at all. No, well, no, but... I only listened to it yesterday, Will. <laughs> I don't remember a thing about it. Is that, does that say something? And yet, weirdly, this is the one that goes on to have the strongest connection to the Sarah Jane adventures on telly. Does it? Because Rupert Lake comes back and writes two of the Sarah Jane adventures. Of course he does. Which ones does he do? Well, I'm not going to say that because that's coming up in a quiz question later. Ah, fuck it. Okay, all right. But it's also, it gets mentioned in one of the Sarah Jane audiobooks that they did for the Sarah Jane adventures. And so I downloaded it and I listened to it today. And she literally sits down, Luke, Clyde and Rani, and tells them the plot of this story. No. Was that written by Rupert Lake? No. They were having a slow week. They couldn't afford to write a script. So they were like, we'll just use this story. Oh, I want to get that one now. I, I didn't listen to the whole thing, I must admit. They're really good, the Sarah Jane audiobooks they did. They did two a season, and they are brilliant. But I just sort of skipped through on Audible today to try and find the bit. And she literally, she talks about, she's like, I, I was visiting Romania and I'm in this old house. And at 3 a.m. I was woken up and there was this creature and it scared me and it disappeared and it was ghostly. And there's a great bit then when Rani goes, oh, my God, what was it? And Sarah Jane goes, well, I can't tell you that, but it wasn't a ghost. That does make it worth it. Absolutely. I'm not sure it does, you know. 
Sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry. This was I, I thought this was the weakest of the year. Really insubstantial, not very interesting, and killing the the momentum of the series. Well, is it you need that breather because again, also Nat has gone off in a. She's not really talking to Sarah at this point, so that's very you odd sort of though. Because she's, she's not. To... And then in the next story, she just phones her up and goes, "Oh, hi, it's me. Yeah. I've forgiven you. You know." Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, she's like had enough at the end of the last one, so it has to go here as well in the season. Yeah, so, and I suppose it's her and Josh again, so that's quite fun. I wonder if I like your idea of. I mean, maybe not setting it at Juno Baker's house, but I quite like the idea of maybe having Sarah go, do you know what? That last week was mental. I'm going to go back to Morton Harwood. I'm going to see everyone. I'm going to take a break. I'm going to get out of that there. And then while she's there, oh shit, people are being killed by ghosts. It's a pretty <laughs> yeah. weird thing of like, come on, Josh, off to Romania. Oh, I can see the dialogue. Now, hello, my dear. It's funny you should come at this time because we've been seeing spiritual apparitions about the place. I'm so curious to know which stories Rupert Lake wrote for the Sarah Jane Adventures because I don't think there's a dud there. And if he can do it there, what happened here? <laughs> one of the ones he wrote is like one of my favourite ones. This is the one where she says, oh, I've just sold the house in Morton Harwood for a lot of money. So where I was trying to build my little, does this all tie together? Sort of, because I've always assumed she sold that house and bought Bannerman Road. Um, I mean, at the moment, she's still living in a dead woman's flat. But, you know, apart from that... You remember, you remember that documentary we watched about um, the boy bands and the fella that was Connor them all? Oh, yeah. What was the fella's name? Lou Pearlman. Have you heard about this? He was managing which bands? Uh, Backstreet Boys and NSYNC. I'm going somewhere with this, don't worry. Um, I think I have seen this doc. Was it on YouTube they did this documentary? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he basically uh, told them the money was coming... You know, don't worry, and sort of, you know, they were a spectacular success. And then he got them all around the table and gave them a cheque for sort of 10 grand. And went, there you go, be grateful you're getting something. Um, I think Sarah Jane had Josh and Nat on a promise, just like this, you know. But now she sold the house, she delivered. I think they got a tasty cheque, each of them. Yeah, Elizabeth, um, not Elizabeth Slater, Sarah Jane is no Lil Pillman. <laughs> no, no, we can say that with some confidence. <laughs> sorry, that was the most strained analogy funny. I've ever done. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, well. God. Right, anyway, going on to the finale of this season. Mm. Mirror Signal Manoeuvre was released in November 2002, featuring Louise Faulkner. Patricia Maynard and Peter Miles. This was written by Peter Ankelides. Is that right? No. Oh, and this was directed by Gary Russell. He's busy, isn't he, this season? Mm. This culminates in all of the goings-on in the background throughout this season. And, of course, it's Miss Winters behind everything here. Although I was really surprised how little... She actually was in this. Like, I thought she would be more of a... She's only really in that last... 10 minutes. 10, 20 minutes, I feel. So I think that was a shame that she wasn't in it more because we we, we've got Louise Faulkner instead, basically, throughout this. Who was that? Was she the... As oh, the other journalist. Do you know what? As soon as she appeared, I went, she's a double agent. She's evil. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was just too helpful, wasn't she? I don't know if they're trying to hide that or not because I did the same thing. I listened and I went, well, obviously... She's not her friend. But I don't know if you're supposed to know that. 
they had a twist behind that twist, didn't they? Because the taxi driver from the first scene was also evil. Yeah. It was like every single person she meets in this story is working for Miss Winters. Yeah. <laughs> Although at first, I thought that was Josh in disguise doing a voice for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> no, you didn't. I can't believe I'm going to ask you this question, but I am. Um... That first scene in the taxi, yeah, did Sarah Jane come across as being incredibly racist? She's so intolerant with that man. Like, will you just shut up and drive the car, you know, to this lovely Indian taxi driver? It's weird, because this is the last couple of stories, well, the last story, I suppose, she's been a little bit nicer. And then, yeah, literally, this starts, and he does the whole, I know you, you're Sarah Jane. No, I'm not. You obviously are. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, it's like I'm listening to the stories. <clears throat> well, what did you think of this as a series finale? I like the idea more than the finished piece. I think the confrontation where you get Sarah Jane and Miss Winters together is brilliant. And I love... There's a great bit where Miss Winters sort of says, oh, so you do keep up with your old cases because you know this and you know that. And here's how I've orchestrated your whole downfall. And I got to that bit, like, this is brilliant. And then about five minutes later, the play was over. And I kind of went, oh. I got really excited during that confrontation. And I was like, wow. But then I started thinking about it. I was like, this hasn't really been integrated well into the series. Apart from Test of Nerve, where you had Harris doing lots of things to, you know, make her life hell. I did love the line, though. I'm going to quote it. Uh, where she said, you've, you, you've been living a pathetic, neurotic existence, always looking over your shoulder and never seeing me looking back. I thought that was a great line. She's a good villain, don't you think? Well, she's a great villain. And having um, the journalist being related to... Oh, Jericho. Jellico, yeah, from Robot. Yeah, that's, that's a clever tie-in. But I felt like there was too much of going through voicemails and that saying phone me and all that all this all the voicemail padding stuff i was just like oh just my interest throughout this it didn't feel like i like i was like i want to hear what happens to this finale or where this where's this going i was just like when is this going to wrap up when are we going to actually get somewhere it just would just not like not well like test of nerve didn't feel like that that was an exciting you know everything in that sort of meant something but i feel like a lot of that beginning in this was just and all this talk about different case files and everything between Sarah and uh, I can't remember her name, the, uh, the other journalist I'll call her, it just went on a bit too long and it wasn't really going anywhere. And then uh, then it's not going anywhere and then Nat's calling up or someone's checking her voicemails every five minutes and it's just like, oh, come on, like, it didn't, I don't know, it didn't really feel like a big finale to me. I didn't really enjoy this one very much. Oh, well, then I'm going to contradict you because I thought this was probably the second best of the year. Um, mm. I thought it actually did have a bit of pace to it. I liked the guest actors. You've got Peter Miles and Louise Faulkner and Patricia Maynard in there, so they keep things fun and lively. If you know what, Peter Miles is a very recognisable voice every time. It's just Nida every time. Oh, no, he was doing an accent, though, actually. He was doing an accent. Nida yeah. with an accent. <laughs> yeah. I did think that the twist about the taxi driver was maybe one twist too many. When he walked in, he was evil as well. The final ten minutes pull it up quite a lot. But I was the same. That first bit, I didn't really care. Where There's, there's an awful lot of, we need to find this doctor. Check my voicemails. 
Oh, he's on that island. Check my voicemails. We need to find a boat. Check my voicemails. There's one. And off the go. It was all of that. I was a bit like, eh. And then when was it the end, I kind of went, okay, now this is what I want to be listening to. Was that voicemail annoying? That was really... Uh, you have reached the voicemail. Oh, I was like, oh, are we doing this again? because there's a really awkward bit where Matt and Sarah are talking. And Sarah says, how on earth did you get into my voicemail? And Matt goes, oh, I just patched it in from another phone. And Sarah Jane goes, you can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing dates worse than technology. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even get what, yeah, the reason for all this voicemail stuff. I know it's because she can be traced, but I didn't, like, it's her Planet 3 voicemail. But then I don't know how, how are people, people leaving voicemails for her there? What what is the point of that? Well, she phones her up on a mobile at one point. And she just goes, oh, Nat, you know, I've got to get rid of this phone now. And I just wanted Nat to say, Sarah, you're an ungrateful bitch. And just put the phone down and never talk to her again. Yeah, I didn't get what that meant. Nat would know, but I just don't, I don't understand. She's the brains of the group. Have you ever seen um, the new Star Trek? Sorry, I know we're going across Star Trek again. Um, Picard. Have you watched that? Okay, so like the first series of that, yeah, was very dark and very miserable. And Picard's in a bad place and the Federation's in a bad place. And we go through an entire miserable season of the, basically is not Star Trek to get to the point where all of that's dealt with, all the dark stuff's dealt with, and we can go off and have jolly adventures again in the second series. I feel that's exactly what's happening with Sarah Jane Smith series one is that she's in this sort of weird, paranoid, depressed state, always looking over her shoulder and then we get to the point where she realizes who's behind all of this and why she's been living her life like this and then at the last scene of mirror signal maneuver it's like right we can go and have some fun now (laughs) what the fuck was that all about then i feel like i would have liked it more if the first story had been her downfall if it had been she's investigating this company it all goes wrong. She loses her job, everything's bad. And at the very end of that one, you play the Hilda Winters reveal that you get in test of nerves, like, I've done this to you. And then if every episode is, she's trying to investigate and she's failing. Like, not losing every week, but there's a little loss every week. And then by the time you get here, you have the confrontation, you have the ending. I've been, like, you know, the architect of your destruction. And then, like you say, it's, I think that would work more to have that story through. Whereas I feel like all the interesting stuff happened before the series. Well, why the hell weren't you script editing this series? Well, I mean, I did offer, but... It is weird to come in after the drama, though, isn't it? To just the consequences. I think that, yeah, I think that's what threw me going into this series the first time I listened to it. And I don't think I ever 100% caught up. You always feel like, yeah, there's just that little bit of extra information that you've missed out on. And it's not like Big Finish can't do... I don't know how many of the sort of the spin-offs of Big Finish you've explored, but it's not like they can't do Dark really well because they did Sapphire and Steel, and I thought those audios were excellent. Uh, you loved Graceless, and that's sort of morally complex and, and, and quite dark. I just think it's weird taking a classic Doctor Who companion and essentially putting them through hell for five stories before we can actually go off and, and have an adventure. Yeah, it's a slightly odd choice. And that's my other thing. I want there to be an alien somewhere. I feel like that's sorely missing across this series. The closest you get is like the radiation creature in the first episode. There wasn't one, was there? No. 
no aliens, no real monsters. It's a completely different world, obviously, to Sarah Jane Adventures that we get. It's not like they would show Sarah Jane Adventures on CBBC and afterwards be like, and there's a collection of CD audios of Sarah nice. Jane Smith available for kids. Sarah Jane. You know, it's... <laughs> <laughs> on car yeah like those Hollyoaks episodes you know yeah yeah it's late night Sarah Jane isn't with it the, with the orgies in them and all that yeah oh, did you watch that one <laughs> sorry <laughs> well look, do you have um, anything else to add about mirror signal manoeuvre um I I really like that part of the downfall is that they've kidnapped the remains of canine and they've like butchered it oh. circuits to try and get to Sarah. I love that. I wish they could have said canine, <laughs> but I really like that they did that. What did I say? They just keep referring to it as a box of mechanical equipment and things like that. Yeah, completely forgot about canine. Yeah, that is really nice that they've got that. And Because he says there's the antenna sticking out of the box and they sort of describes that box from Canine and Company pretty well. Well, when we get to your chronology moment, uh, I don't know how you're going to tie this in with the Sarah Jane adventures where she has a fully functioning canine at the beginning of that. Because Doctor Who repairs him in school reunion. He's broken at the start. Yeah. See? Oh, well, if you're a genius. Seems, yeah. I'm going to have you script edit all Big Finish from now on, all right? <laughs> You've got all the answers, baby. Um, well. Well, there we go. That's series one of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Well I feel like we've been quite, quite harsh. hard, yeah. but I think it is flawed. There's real glimmers of brilliance in there, and there's great ideas, but it's just it's not what I wanted to hear from the return of Sarah Jane. Can I suggest that, um, I think they are still in 299, you listen to the second series, though, because it is all David Bishop. It is a lot more fun to listen to. I think there's only one hop overseas in that one, to Antarctica or somewhere like that. It's got a, a running story throughout the whole season that really gathers, and then in the last two stories, it really just sort of blows. And it's almost like, yeah, this should have been series one. And we'll get to that. Well, well, you know, maybe I'll try and entice you back for series two. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you got your chronology moment? It's a very brief chronology moment. Well, let, the, excuse me, there's a, there's a lot of Sarah Jane to fit this around. Yeah, okay, well, I'll explain. Well, it depends. If you're doing your whole everything marathon... you know, with TV and audios. It's where do you fit this series? So it's obviously, it's a Sarah Jane after downtime, I put it, if you are doing downtime in your in your chronology, I, I would. But obviously, before the Sarah Jane adventures. So where, where can it fit? Um, it's set, you know, 2001, 2002. So do you sort of fit it in amongst a lot of the big finish time, amongst the sort of eighth Doctor time, if you're doing a sort of a timeline in that way of everything there's a lot of options i would put it in sort of roughly where it was what was happening when it stuff was being released so that would be in the middle of the eighth doctor's time somewhere as like a season just plonked in the middle so there's nothing really to to set it anywhere so i would put it in after neverland to give the eighth doctor a bit of a break in between the big uh, reveal there that's personally that's what i would do if i was listing out everything ever that's where we'll put it. Slot it in there. Does this work though? Does this work as a? Have you seen Downtime, Will? Oh yeah, it's terrible, but I love it. 
you remember Deborah Watlin at the beginning? You know, who are you? Call <laughs> <laughs> the. <laughs> well, yeah, because she's a, she's uh, obviously working for Planet Three there around that time, so it, I think it works. She's probably got now on the phone afterwards, being like, "I've just been <laughs> yeah. those Yeti really pissed me off." <laughs> <You know? laughs> Josh, where were you? We needed you to find the great intelligence. Yeah. Oh, so you think this is happening concurrent with all that stuff? Oh my god, what if Nat was a chili on the computers? Oh. That's how they met. Yeah. She's told you, because they're all there, aren't they, in their computers yeah. with their little headsets on. Yeah, bloody chilies. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it is weird, though. Sarah, Sarah Jane has done so much out of Doctor Who. Like, obviously, you've got her original run. Then you've got Canine and Company. Then you've got Downtime. Then you've got this. Then you've got the Sarah Jane adventure. Well, no, you've got Doctor Who again. Then you've got the Sarah Jane adventures. I mean... No one else has had this much attention, have they? So whatever we've said about this series, this is a character that inspires people to write stories for her. I find when I last watched all of Doctor Who, I always want to be a bit contrary. And so I always want to go, oh, Sarah Jane's not as good as everyone says she is. And when you're watching through, you obviously have Joe Grant, who is brilliant for three years. And you think, oh, Sarah Jane's never going to hold up. And then she's brilliant. And you sort of think... There's a reason that she's the one who keeps coming back. Did you really love the Sarah Jane adventures? I loved it, yeah. Like, you know, like we're... I don't know how old you are, and I'm certainly not going to ask you that on a podcast. But, um... 21, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say 18. But, like, I was in my mid-30s or something when that was on, and, boy, it just took me back to being a kiddiewink again and that same excitement the cliffhanger in the middle of the story you know the silly monsters the grandiose villains i mean uh, mrs wormwood is basically miss winters isn't she i find the thing that i love is so i'm in my mid-30s but my wife is about six or seven years younger than me and um her friend came over a few years ago and she spotted the sarah jane dvd on the shelf and she went, oh, I, I like Sarah Jane, you know, blah, 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 blah. Because when it started, she would have been about, you know, 13, 14, whatever. And then I, she says, oh, how, how, why have you got all of this? And I was like, well, because Doctor Who. And she goes, well, Sarah Jane's from Doctor Who. And she'd oh, watched, wow. and my wife was the same. She'd seen loads of the Sarah Jane adventures, had no idea it was anything to do with Doctor Who, even to the point that I said, Doctor Who is in the Sarah Jane. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You remember that police box that was in that Series 3 one? (laughs) Well, they could have adapted some of these stories. You could have had a great cliffhanger with Nat. I won't be your victim. (laughs) You know. Do you remember that that Season 2 classic from the Sarah Jane Adventures, Ghost Town, set in Romania? (laughs) I'd rather watch that one with Ross Abbott again instead of that. (laughs) Actually, that was quite fun. Do you remember that one? That one's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I mean, it's clearly the Mandragora Helix. They don't say it. Oh, really is. for sure. Yeah. The Secrets of the Stars. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I feel like I've taken done. us completely off piece, but I just want to ask you one more question about the Sarah Jane Adventures. What's the best episode? I really like whatever happened to Sarah Jane because Jane Asher is brilliant. And there's the bit where Maria says to her, like, I'm sorry, you were meant to die. And she's just... Oh, it's brilliant. I love it. Come on, Will. Come on, do the line. (laughs) Meant? Who said I was meant to die? 
Bravo. You've been promoted from script editor to actor. That is a brilliant piece of drama, though, that. And the way that they... More than you expect for what is effectively a kid's show. It's never treated as a kid's show. No, it's, it's sort of introducing kids to some very mature ideas. Yeah. And then the Slovene show the next week. So it's everything you could possibly... Fabulous. Fabulous. And I... Do you know what? There was a point in during series four of the Sarah Jane Adventures and that's when series five of Doctor Who was going out that I was like I think I'm enjoying Sarah Jane Adventures more than Doctor Who at the moment you know <laughs> Will I again I can't believe I'm about to ask you this but are you a fan of Audacious Oral the only reason I came on this podcast is because I wanted to say and now it's time for some Audacious Oral well we're about to <laughs> blow your mind then let's go <laughs> Shaking up okay. the formula this week, Will has prepared five exciting questions, and me and him are going to go head to head. Brace yourself. So, question one of these five stories in the Sarah Jane series one, which one was the last to be recorded? I know the answer to that. Uh, I don't know. I'm going to guess. I'm going to guess. It's come back. Come back. Yes. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Bugger it, we're still at the same time. All right. Keep school. Well, that was far too easy. <laughs> did you did you dig that, dig that out of my Bible, the inside story? I did, yeah. Yeah. God, there's a whole little chapter on that, isn't there? It's great. I love that book so much. So question two, which ministry does Claudia Costa work for? I said it earlier, didn't I? What? CIA? C-19. Fifteen. Ministry of Defence. Both wrong. Oh. It's the Ministry of Intelligence. Uh. The Ministry of Intelligence? What's that? I'm not sure it's a real thing. Question three. Rupert Late went on to write two Sarah Jane adventures. Which two did he write? Oh, no. I'm going to have to guess. And one's your favourite, yeah? Or one of your favourites. It's up there, yeah. Did he write... Lost in Time. He did write Lost in Time. Yes! That's one of my favourites. Yeah. Isn't there one called The Curse of Clyde Langer? Now that's very well regarded. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, he didn't write... um, You're right, Cesar. He didn't write Mona Lisa's Revenge, did he? He didn't. That was a pill four. Oh, man, that's sublime, that one. He did the Series 3 finale, The Gift in which the Slitheen bring Rackweed to the earth. That is fun, though. Uh, that's Miriam Margulies, isn't it? Playing the... Yeah. Oh, do you know what? You've single-handedly elevated Rupert Late's re- reputation in my mind. So question four. D.I. Morrison appears in two of these Sarah Jane plays. He also appears, in a manner of speaking, in one other Big Finish play. Which one? Oh, you have done your oh, research. Right, okay. Um, so he's in, I think he's in, definitely Test of Nerve. Come back. Yeah, but that say. wasn't the question. It was, oh, what other story is he in? Oh, what other story? One other big finish play. Sort of. Is, is it a Doctor Who? It might be or it might not be. 
<laughs> oh, will you entice us? What, um, the same character in a big, in same a character. big finish play? Oh. I do not have a single clue. I'm going to learn something today. It's not like the first episode of the second series of the Sarah Jane Adventures, is it? It is. <laughs> oh, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, he's the person off, off mic, if you like, who phoned Sarah Jane to tell her Miss Winters has died between seasons. Oh, <laughs> I... That's because Patricia Maynard said, you only gave me two scenes, I'm not coming back. <laughs> Final question. Now, this one is tricky. To the nearest month, as in years and months, how long was the gap between Sarah Jane's last appearance in Doctor Who, in The Five Doctors, and her return to the world of Doctor Who officially in Comeback? What, in years, did you say? In, yeah. Or in months? X number of years and X number of months. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, you really thought about these, didn't you? Thank you. I love a date question. I'm going to say... Oh. oh, have I done my maths right? It's 20... 24 years, 8 months? And I'm going to say... Oh, sorry. I'm going to say 23... Years, eight months, 14 days, five minutes, and 15 seconds. For the second, that's absolutely right. That's unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Overshot. It was 18 years, eight months, and six days between the five doctors and the release of Comeback. And worryingly, the distance between the release of Comeback and now is 21 years, one month, and 10 days. No. Which means the Sarah Jane Series 1 is older to us now than The Five Doctors was when this series was released. No. Will you stop doing that, please? I feel very old as it it is. It is funny, isn't it? Listening to these, you don't don't realise how long ago they were released, like how long Big Finish has been going. And we're saying, you know... The music's a little bit dated, and the the modern references are dated. Yeah, but they the probably weren't at the like time. That's what yeah, we said. No, well, yeah, but maybe, but you know, back then, I mean, it was a time back then, wasn't it? Yeah. It's not like it is sort of now. So yeah, that is funny, isn't it? When I like, think about the Sirens of Time being in two thousand. What was it? Well, that was ninety nine, wasn't it? Ninety nine. I was nineteen. I'm forty three now. The first big finish I bought was the Grayus, and lost on me. And you went back for more. Oh, my God. (laughs) Will you ask Gary Russell about that one, please? (laughs) It's very long. Very long. Well, look, thank you very much for talking about Sarah Jane. What we'd like to talk about now for 10 minutes or so is I want to talk about your recent crowdfunder, what that's all about, it's spectacular success and what we're going to be expecting from you in the future. It, yeah, it, it's taken me by surprise a little bit. So I did, my main thing is I did the Titan comics for five years. I did about 170 covers for them in five years, which is why the quality is so variable in places. <laughs> I was doing like no, can I say... Sorry to interrupt you. Those covers were some absolutely the best thing about those. That Ave Doctor one that we've got, that Paul McGann one, is that Titan? 
God damn it, we should have brought it with us. <laughs> then I could have presented it to you and said, is this one of yours? Sorry, please continue. Good, then absolutely that was one of mine. Oh, do you know, once I was, I did a convention and I was a guest at a convention and Katie Manning was there and I'd never met her before. And she came round and she was looking at some of my work and she went, oh, darling, these are wonderful. I've seen some of these. These are great. And I was like, oh, my God, Katie Manning knows my work. And then she went, they should get you on the comics because they put me on one of those the other month. And it was fucking terrible. And she described the cover to me. And I thought, yeah, that was one of mine. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but you, you've done big finish covers as well, haven't you? Yeah. I've done Sarah Jane covers for Big Finish. Mm. Did you do that fabulous uh, Beyond Bannerman Road cover? I did, yeah. Oh, you made them all look very sexy on that cover. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so what's what's the crowdfunder all about then? So it's an art book of all my Titan Comics covers because I realised they're all scattered on various external hard drives and they're all starting to crash and fail. And every so often, because I did so many, people will tag me on Twitter, like, oh, here's a cover by Will Brooks. And I'll look at it and I'll think, is it? And so I thought, right, I'm going to pull them all together, put them all in one book and print it out and stick it on the shelf. Because at least then when all the hard drives fail, in 10 years' time, I can look back and go, I did this, because I loved doing the comics. Um, and so I started doing it and I mentioned it to a friend. And he said, oh, actually, if you're doing that, can you run me off a copy as well? Because I'd quite like to have a copy. I said, yeah, all right, I can do that. And then we were chatting about it, and he said, well, I think people would buy it. And I said, well, maybe, you know. And so I thought, right, I'll do a Kickstarter. I wanted to raise 350 quid, which would allow me to print 30 copies or whatever. And, yeah, it finished this afternoon, and it went for, like, 2,000. <laughs> that is astonishing. I Literally, two weeks ago, I said to my friend, right, I've done all the Doctor Who covers. I'll put on some stretch goals for Torchwood and Sherlock. I think we'll hit the Torchwood goal for like 400 quid. We might hit Sherlock at 450. And then I think we did a thousand pound on day one. And I sort of sat here going, bloody hell. <laughs> Wasn't there like within a couple of hours? Was You'd more than smashed the target. Yeah, we hit in 44 minutes. I hit the 350 pound that I needed to hit to make it happen. And it was bonkers. Yeah. I mean, that is that, such a... BBC don't shut me down. That's such a huge endorsement, isn't it? I feel really humbled by it. Um, and my friend sort of said, well, of course people want it. And I'm like, well, it seems obvious in hindsight. But I think you know, everyone's their own worst critic. So I think I think I did, not to toot my own horn, I think I did some fucking fantastic covers. But I also did a lot of shit. <laughs> it's kind of, it balances out. I've yet to see one yet, you know. Oh, that's shit. Sorry, not fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when when is that going to be available? Hopefully, I think the digital version's going up end of October, and then the physical books will be going out probably start of December. I think the digital book is. I was having a look earlier. Is a great idea. I just like the. F it's great to have Physical a book, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it's like um, you've got some art books, you know, the Andrew Skilleter one, Time Frame, things like that, you know, just where you can mm. flick through and look at. It's nice to have. My favourite project, I think, of all the Doctor Who things I've done, Candy Jar put out the Chris Archilios art book, and I did the cover for that, and it was all his artwork, 
but I cut it out. I photoshopped it. I had it printed out big. I sent it to Chris Archilius. He painted in new bits, sent it back to me, and I scanned it in and did. And I'm amazed that I got to do something with it because if you're going to work with any Doctor Who artist, you know. Oh, iconic. What, oh, sorry. Go on, you can ask me. Well, I was going to ask, what, what's your favourite Big Finish cover that you've done? I really like, I did one of the Gallifrey Time War ones and it's kind of Lala Ward and Daleks and things, I think. Oh, I remember that one. It's very red, I think. Uh, <laughs> I do like the Beyond Bannerman Road one because I love Sarah Jane so much. And it was obviously a lot of people who do the Doctor Who stuff for Big Finish. We're all mates. We all talk. And so someone, I'd heard a sort of whisper and someone said, oh, they've got the license. They're going to do some Sarah Jane adventures. And so I just emailed everyone I could possibly think of to find out what was going on. And the brilliant Emily Cook has produced the two sets. And she sort of texted me back and said, oh, actually, yeah, do you want to do the covers? And I was like, of course I want to do the covers. It's, um, can I ask, where did you start with your artwork? Like, what was, what was the first thing you did? It was, so I did fan art on, like, Gallifrey Base or somewhere about 15 years ago. I, did you have a thread? Yeah, that's where I first heard your name. I it was on Gallifrey Base. Yeah, that was me. I did a little bit of that. And then it was, I wanted to do more with it. And for a while, Damien May did a lot of big finish covers. He was like their go-to for about two years. But he sometimes didn't have time to finish them. So quite often, he would call me up and he'd say, look, I'm doing, there's like a Peter Davison box set from about 2013. And he said, look, I've got the layout, but I haven't got time to cut out all the pictures and colour in the black and white ones. Can you do that? And I'll slip you 100 quid. You do those, and then I'll put it together. So I did a few for him. And then he, one month, they sort of phoned him up and said, oh, we need three covers for the main range, and we need them by, like, yesterday. And he didn't have time. So he said, well, I can't do it, but call Will. And literally, I got a panicked email from Big Finish, like, can you do three covers now? And I kind of went, yes, please. Was one of those covers the Entropy Plague? Yes, it was. He told me that was you on the front cover. I was looking at it going, I don't look nothing like him. I photoshopped into maps. (laughs) (laughs) I did it because it was, I thought at that point, I thought I might never, ever get to do another piece of Doctor Who merchandise. So if I do nothing else, forevermore I can say, I put my nipple on the front (laughs) of Doctor Who. I know um, someone else who does some big finish covers, uh, Tom Newsom, and he put he put himself on a cover of. <laughs> he's like, I'm immortalised now, you know. Tom is brilliant. His covers are gorgeous. He's just done a Gallifrey one as well, hasn't he? Um, yeah, I think my favourite one of his. Did you ever see the Scorched Earth one with all the flames coming out of Colin Baker's head? Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's, that's, look, you know, I'm going to be very rude now. Not about your work, it's fabulous. But do you ever look back in the day at stuff like Shadow of the Scourge when they did those terrible cut-and-paste jobs? I'm do- tomorrow I'm working through a main range marathon and I'm doing Shadow of the Scourge tomorrow. Oh, um, just oh. you wait. I looked at the cover today. <laughs> I and do you know who did that? 
It's somebody that's gone on to do some of the most incredible imagery for Doctor Who. Clayton Hickman. I was, yeah, because Clayton's covers for the main range, when we're getting to, like, the Eighth Doctor Series 2, they are some of my favourite bits of Doctor Who artwork ever. They are stunning. So, sorry, I think I did just ask this question, but I'm not sure if I paid attention to the answer, so I'm going to ask you again. When am I going to have this fabulous book on my shelf? <laughs> December, I hope. Ah, oh, time for Christmas. Yeah, that's the plan. Hopefully, I've got I've pulled all the artwork together because originally I didn't think I had all of the artwork, but I have now tracked it all down, and I've written commentary for about forty-five of the covers, um, and there's input from brilliant people. Um, so I put there's a unit soldier on a cover, and it's Cavan Scott because he wrote the Ninth Doctor comics, so he's written a little piece to talk about that. Um, and Andrew James, who was the editor at Titan, he's written me a lovely introduction. But if you've done so many, how did you choose? It was bonkers. It was So I did it as my full-time job for five years. And it was, I am terrible at following a brief. So to start with, the first six months or so, Andrew would email and he'd say, right, can we have the eighth doctor doing this and the ninth doctor doing that and blah, blah, blah. And then he started to realise that what I sent back bore absolutely no relation to what he'd asked me for. Um, so eventually we reached a point and he would literally email at the start of the month and say, oh, right, by the 23rd, I need two David Tennant covers, a Matt Smith, a Peter Capaldi. And I would just make shit up. <laughs> I like that. I can work like that. And that's, yeah, it was fun. And it was a really fun collaborative process because I could email him an idea and say, I'm thinking about this. Can we try that? And he'd say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What if, you know? Yeah, that was a lot of fun. What an incredible job doing Doctor Who for five years. It reached a wonderful... I'd done it for the five years, and it wound down a little bit, because there was the point we were doing nine issues a month, and then we'd gotten down to they were just doing one a month. And I was thinking, this isn't going to pay the bill much longer. Um, and then one month I emailed, and Andrew had left by this point, and I emailed him and I said, oh, what, what do we need next month? Is it just the next in the series? And they basically emailed back and went, oh, yeah, no, we can't afford that anymore. Bye. <laughs> And I've never heard of that. Oh, no. Oh, jeez. So you can go in by being cheeky, but they can be cheeky back at the end. Oh, that's terrible. I got my comeuppance. Well, listen, you're a fantastic talent. We're so lucky to have had you. We're so sorry to have made you watch the Sarah Jane uh, series one. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm hoping we can entice you back next time and we'll listen to something really, really good. Oh, you'll never be rid of me now. <laughs> 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 genuinely though it's it's thank you so much for having me on because i love listening to finish big and every i find i'm rubbish at subscribing to podcasts so every few days i like refresh spotify and I'm like, is there a new one on it and like i said i'm listening to the main range and i'm doing a play and then re-listening to your segment on it and yeah that's been great fun so i'm very happy to be here but you better tell us where we're going next. Oh, yes. So, up next, where are we going <coughs> in release order? We are going back to the world of 2000 AD. So we've got some more Judge Dreads to listen to. Have you ever heard any of these, Will? Not a one. I'll tell you what. It's the complete opposite of the Sarah Jane series one. Oh, they yeah. are Sarah Jane is not the Judge Dredd. Ridiculous. You know, you're going to listen to that episode and go, God, I wish I'd gone on that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, well, we like the first lot, 
It was fun. So, yeah, yeah, really good fun. to go back to that one. And to yeah. say that we went in with low expectations mm. would be an understatement. But <laughs> actually, they were great. They were really fun. I mean, you made it through Fly Me to the Moon, so I think you'll hear on out. Did you ever have the ambition to listen to India Fisher playing with a dildo? <laughs> I, no comment. <laughs> that is the safe answer. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> well... Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. And don't forget to finish. Finish big. Finish big. <laughs> <laughs>